Well, a good morning. Thank you for coming to this class. I'm Jason Locke, preaching college at the College Church of Christ in Fresno. And uh, I'm really excited to be able to share this information uh, with those of you who have come today. And I hope it'll be something that you feel like is worthwhile. Um, I'm, I'm not someone who does a lot of original research. So I want to make it very clear about that. I'm not someone who, who has discovered lots of brand new things. But I'm the kind of person who synthesizes things well and kind of puts the big picture together. I think um, um, I, I'm, I, I'm grateful, uh, like what Mike Cope said last night, if you were in the keynote at the end, he talked about uh, many of us as church leaders are like the guys driving on that spare tire, the donut, way past the amount of time that you're supposed to have been driving on it. Um, that, that many of us as church leaders, I don't know of your situation, if you're church leaders, I know many of you are, are ministers, um, is that uh, we have been uh, exhausting our resources for quite some time, so it feels. And, um, and it feels like uh, most ministers that I know and church leaders that I know are really trying to do the next good thing, are just simply trying to help people and move things along. That's just where most of us are. And I feel like that's... Uh, really for most of us all we can do is just simply do the next good thing and I think there's lots of people who've been trying to help us uh, from all kinds of various vantage points help us to see various things like I appreciate the work of um, Stan Granberg and Tim Woodruff of really showing the dire situation within Churches of Christ are you aware of kind of their research projecting out uh, kind of the decline in Churches of Christ very depressing information uh, but it's helpful to know um, I appreciate uh, the work of people like Leonard Allen, who are trying to, I think, show some theological directions for us, try to tie into our heritage, and try to bridge toward a broader uh, picture of what Christianity is and our place within that world. A lot of people like that are doing lots of good pieces for us. And on the West Coast, uh, here in California, we have resources like through Pepperdine. Mike Cope has done things to help give some of us ministers tools to better navigate being ministers. <laughs> we sometimes just simply need simple tools just to survive as ministers. And I think he's doing some work now with congregations on that same kind of level with congregational <clears throat> leaders. Uh, but all those tools by themselves and all the things that, that we're given are just really honestly individual pieces that don't all kind of fit in a big narrative of where we need to go as churches, how we uh, need to navigate these times and how we can find a way forward. And so I do want to, starting out here, I want to apologize for the clickbait title. And uh, it's, it is, it's, it's very much a uh, uh, title that I hoped would, would steal a few people in who were just curious. And some people are going to come perhaps because they're really hoping for an answer, others because they're pretty sure I'm going to crash and burn. They want to see the wreckage. <laughs> so I, I, I certainly acknowledge both of those possibilities. Um, um, the, there are three categories, though, for whom this material will not apply. Three, church, three kinds of churches. The first kind of church for whom this material will not apply is a church that is really um, performing at its historical peak that is doing close to as well as it's ever done, um, that, that is still somewhat uh, operating at a very high level. Um, th th this is not uh, a, a 
set of material for that kind of church. And I think what, what, what frustrates me, and this is not going to be a negative session, but what frustrates me about a lot of the things that are out there about renewal in churches is really geared for those churches that are already operating at near their peak and just simply need some help to stay there, to kind of refresh things, to kind of get back to staying at that high level. Um, so that, that frustrates me a little bit that a lot of things that are out there being promoted as renew are really about keeping peak churches near their peak. And that's important. If church is at their peak, we want it to stay there, obviously, right? We don't want a church to have to fall and then find their way back up. And the other kind of church, though, that this will not apply to, uh, there's three kinds. The first is that, that kind. The second kind this will not apply to is a church that's nearly dead. I hate to say that. But, you know, I always like the, the analogy that you can, you can uh, bridle a wild horse, but you can't jumpstart a dead horse. <laughs> and sadly, I hate to say it, some of our churches, and not just churches of Christ, but some churches are, just, are near death. And you kind of reach a point that's really a point of no return. So I, I would like to think this could apply to everybody, but I do acknowledge there are some situations that maybe are beyond uh, the help. And, and there are folks who are trying to help those kind of churches as well by trying to get them to sell their building and use their resources for other new things, right? Uh, so I get that, how that applies. There's one other kind of church, though, and, and that this will not apply to. And this is the church that is solely focused still solely focused on restoring the ancient church. That if your focus is still on restoration, um, you're probably missing where I'm going to be leading today. And there's multiple reasons for that. I'm all for partnering with God to restore all things through Jesus in the Spirit. Uh, but I'm not for trying to recreate or preserve the New Testament pattern. That's just not where, where I am these days. Um, so anyway, there you know. There you go. All right, the Cliff Notes version of what I'm going to say today. And I'm speaking in particular to our tribe, Churches of Christ. We have a church-shaped mission when we should have a mission-shaped church. We are doing our mission based on what we understand the church to be. Instead of shaping our church to meet what we think the mission is. And that is backwards. Our church should be designed to partner with God's mission, not God's mission designed to partner with our church. And so this is why I think we're missing the big picture that can help churches like mine find renewal. And as I'm going to say in a minute, this is probably... 50% uh, plus of the churches that are in, in, in situation like mine. For too long, we have done what fits our understanding, but instead we need to reshape the church to fit the bigger picture of what God is doing and what God wants to do. And I understand this requires listening, which we're not always good at. We have to listen, though, to God and to the world to see what's, see what's up. Um, we put way too much emphasis, sometimes also, on personal responsibility as opposed to thinking about how God wants to call us together to, to live out this mission. That, yes, we are missional in nature, we should be as a church, but our, the nature of our mission is communal. And so personal responsibility, I'm all for it. I, I, I try to take care of myself and do my things. Everybody should. But if we're not doing this together, we're doing it wrong, in my opinion. Um, 
see, I do have a couple slides here. Um, this is really what I believe about our mission. <laughs> I honestly have no idea where we're going. Anybody want to go with me? I think if we are people who are called to participate in the mission of God, we don't know what tomorrow holds then. We're turning over uh, the reins, the steering wheel, to God if we want to participate in God's mission. Ultimately, we know our destination, obviously, to be with God eternally. But if we're really to participate in God, did Abraham know where he was going when he said yes? Did Jesus fully understand? I mean, yeah, of course. But to participate in the mission of God means to say yes to God and not yes to us. We have to turn over the reins to God. But here's the good news is we get to do it together. And this is what I think our churches are really good at. We have great strengths within us that can allow us to really lean into this if we will accept what God is calling us to do and be. All right, so let me, let me talk for just a minute in trying to help set out the big picture of why I think I've come up with these five steps that I'm going to reveal in a moment. But most churches, anybody familiar with Bullard's uh, life cycle and stages of congregational development, uh, really helpful stuff in describing where our churches are. And basically what Bullard does, and he looks, this is not necessarily something that's universal or, or global. This is particularly North America, United States. He looks at most congregations as having a 50-year life cycle. You, you can look this kind of stuff up. There's a book that he's written um, but uh, of having a 50-year life cycle. And he, he gives four components to church life uh, that, they're, that, they're, that are active or, or, or rather dormant in various stages, vision, relationships, programs, and management. And just basically, as churches go through uh, their growth, reach their prime, operate at their peak, uh, then churches just slowly over time begin to, um, begin to decline. And, it's, and, and the decline is usually happening way before the numbers are declining. Um, Bullard suggests that there are 10 stages of development. And you see those listed on their birth and all those. Um, when a congregation is on the growth side of the graph, if you'll notice, V and R are capitalized. Th those are the ones that are driving the church's life, vision and relationships. But when a congregation is on the downward slope, programs and management tend to take control. Oh, we've done this program forever. How dare you change this? Oh, so-and-so's been on staff forever. She's really important. He's really important. We have to keep him. So in other words, it's this structure of management. It's these programs that we're, we're, we're tied to forever. It's this, everybody, oh, you have to go through the elders. You can't just do that on your own. You have to go through the elders to do that. This structures on the declining side of management and programs begin to take charge. And Bullard says that 75 to 80% of North American churches, he said this 20 years ago, that 75 to 80% are on the downward slope. Okay, so just give you a little glimpse there. But where, where Bullard's model is really helpful is in describing where we are as churches. Uh, when I came to Fresno 13 years ago, it's hard to believe it's been 13 years, um, one of the first things I did was do a lot of assessment, do a lot of learning about our church. 
And, um, and I'll just tell you this because I think some of you will really relate to this. Um, I, I got a group of people together and we just tried to figure out where College Church of Christ was on this, on this scale. This was 13 years ago. And you, you don't, there's not a scientific thing to do. You just simply look at various things. And as we talked about it, we pretty much all decided that the College Church of Christ, this was in 2010 or so, was in the retirement phase. Let, let, me, let me describe what, the, what, the, what that looks like, what that sounds like. Um, retirement is on, is, an, is on the aging or downward side of the chart. It's perhaps the last stage when a congregation can realistically experience renewal or revitalization. The continued downward progression to death is not inevitable, but if left unaddressed, this stage can end in further decline or even a split, causing one or both groups to end up in old age, a stage that provides little hope for renewal. Buller describes retirement as a stage marked by both hope and despair. He says that some of the despair is due to weariness within the church from battles of previous phases. Uh, Long-term members have grown tired and just want to live out their days in relative peace. Bullard says that this group typically lacks energy for a new impetus while thinking that the quality of church is in decline. It's just not like it used to be. They therefore become hesitant in reaching out to outsiders. He posits that many long-term members would love to see a return to the glory days, but they don't think they have the energy to pursue it. Buller then suggests that some newer members see this as the time for fresh hope. They think that we've moved past the battles of the previous stage and that the church can now once again become healthy and proactive. And some of these members freelance without official approval. They launch new efforts in hopes of resurrecting the church's growth. At this stage, these new efforts may be at odds with the existing ministry since they tend to be tacked onto the congregation without deep thought of the overall picture. Um, then he goes on talking about um, kind of how the optimism of the new group and the pessimism of the longtime group kind of clash. And he says, Buller goes on to say that the stakeholders who give permission to these new members to do this often do not realize what they have unleashed. They want growth that values and honors the heritage of the congregation. They do not realize what necessary changes may be required. Sometimes a new pastor is brought in, and the new pastor feels empowered and emboldened by this new group pushing for change. And as soon as he pushes for change, the old timers raise up to say, enough. Um, and so this is kind of the general path that things go. And I would say, um, you know, we've been through this at college. We, we kind of know what that's like. So, but, but, so where Bullard's is helpful is in describing where we are. And he's helpful, especially if you're still at prime or maturity, at, at the adulthood or maturity, at kind of keeping things going. But where he's not good at is helping describe how on that downward slope you can really begin to renew. And so the, where this is helpful is looking at uh, the research of folks like um, uh, Fred Romanuk and Al Roxborough, Mark Branson is another name in this category of folks. Uh, their focus is on leadership through the changes of, uh, of a church over time. And what they do is describing a church's life cycle as rather than being a bell curve, 
as being a figure eight. And that a church uh, would be, begin in this kind of a downward section here, building, and then performing highly and reaching a point of, of really of the highest of kind of performative level. But then reaching this time of regulative agency where he describes that things begin to change. It's not quite like it was. And the challenge that most churches go through is that uh, most churches try to simply shortcut at this red stage at the top and go straight back to the performative organization they were before. What's fascinating, and, he, and they would say that 75, again, to 80% of churches are probably in that red zone. Uh, they say that, that um, uh, we keep trying to go back and recreate the performative leadership of the recent past. And in trying to resurrect or reinvigorate the congregation by going back to the past, we actually remain stuck in the reactive zone, further exacerbating our fragile condition, making death an ever closer reality because people become more and more exhausted by the hopelessness of it all. Well, um, the... the goal, according to uh, Roxborough and Romanuk, is that you have to go through the challenge of this bottom phase, which most churches try to avoid. Okay, so here's what I'm going to get to is the five surefire steps uh, for um, church renewal. And um, I really do believe in these. And what I want to say, though, is that not all not these steps are not necessarily linear or sequential. It's not like you finish one and move to the next. And they may not happen in, in any particular order. Although I do think the first one is crucial to do first. Um, and if you haven't done it and you're further along, go back and do it. But um, I think we need lots of help at every step. And that's why I would love to see a cohort of churches doing this together. I would love to see pastors, leaders working together to do these kind of things, uh, to do research on trying to do it together and see what that's like. But here's the first thing that I think is crucial in beginning to move toward renewal. The first step is this, to know your story. Know your story. It may seem obvious, but I'm amazed at how little time we spend in really becoming historians of our churches. It should be a preacher's first job to become the historian of their church, to know the history, to know the story. I was fortunate that when I came to Fresno, I was working on my doctoral degree. And for the sake of my doctoral degree, I was forced to do research on our church. And so I spent a year or so just digging with people in our church, finding the stories, finding the history, writing a narrative of our congregation. Um, I spent a lot of time doing that. And what was fascinating was learning the thread that flows through our church. I'll come to this in a second. But what was also fascinating was discovering the false stories that our church told about itself. Every church has, has myths that they tell. Like, for example, I'll give you one. Our church, and I have a few church members in here. Uh, one of my elders is here. Uh, so you can, uh, you can ask him later if I'm telling the truth. <laughs> one of our myths was that um, everybody knows our church. Everybody in our neighborhood knows our church. That was the belief. Because we had a Christian school that used our building. 
And once a year, we hosted a car show that we actually organized. We had people in our church who were into car shows. And so they did a free car show once a year where you'd have 1,000 to 2,000 people who would come, just kind of be on our campus, um, bring their car, 200 show cars off and would come for that event. It was a big event. It really was. And so because of those things, people thought everybody knows our church. So we're like, okay, we'll find out. So we actually had a team of people that went in the neighborhood, went to businesses near our church, and they asked them about our church. Do you know what the number one response that people gave when we asked them to tell, them something, tell us something about our church? The number one response was, what church? What church? And I'll tell you, that the few times that I shared that information from the pulpit with our church, I had people angry with me. Angry with me for poking the myth that they believed about our church. And, and honestly, even, even the, the way that our church was set up, and it's, it's kind of unfortunate that when they built our building, our parking lot is behind the building. <laughs> so it's kind of hidden in that sense. But also, uh, over the years, beautiful trees have been planted, but the trees, even in front of the sanctuary, were just blocking the entire property. It was as if we'd become this arboretum, a fortress. For us, we thought for everybody, but it really wasn't. Uh, at least our neighbors didn't think so. Neighboring businesses did not know us. But the truth is, there are good things about our church. And we were able to kind of get at what we thought the real story was. And so as we interview, we did something called appreciative inquiry. It's crucial that when you sit and interview your church, you don't just simply ask open-ended questions that let people speak from a deficit perspective. You have to ask questions that allow them to share what they appreciate. Because if we're only thinking from a deficit perspective, it's like, I had the same problem with, uh, there was a marriage seminar thing several years ago called His Needs, Her Needs. And they would, one of the things they would do is say, what's one thing you want to tell your spouse to change? And so it's like, I know spouses that were angry with each other for years because of this. <laughs> you mean you didn't like that jacket that I was wearing for years and you never told me? Like this kind of stuff. Like they just suddenly realized that like, it, was like, it was like free season the purge, you know, to, to kind of come out and tell your spouse what you didn't like about them. I just don't like that. And, and in churches, there is no shortage of negativity, right? There is no shortage of things that we all think we'd like to see different. And if we start from that deficit mentality, we'll never get anywhere. And that's, that's one issue that I have with some of these studies, even like, um, what is it, natural church growth? There's a... There's a, there's a thing that you do called natural Christian, somebody or another does this. Good material, but it's a deficit mentality. Look at what you're weak in and fix that. And that's the way that some charities work. They come into a neighborhood and say, oh, you don't have a playground. Let's build you a playground. Deficit mentality. But the way of thinking these days is to realize we need to start with our strengths. Start with our assets, asset-based thinking. And so you start by asking, uh, we did group interviews in our church. We had, uh, I had transcripts of these interviews, 100 single-spaced pages. 
that I went through, combed through these, these questions like, uh, re remember a time when you really enjoyed our church? Share about that. Those, those kind of questions. Thinking positively about our church. And so as people shared those kind of things, the themes that came out began to be crystal clear. It was things like, the first time I showed up, I felt accepted. This church has become like a family for me. I'd been to other churches and been rejected, but I found healing here in this church. Those kinds of stories over and over. There were a few other themes that weren't quite... But the, the theme that went through it all was that this church, there in Fresno, valued relationships. It was crystal clear that relationships were at the core. And sometimes relationships can veer toward the negative, right? It can become like a click. But so if, if you're thinking about building something from, from, that, from that story, though, you don't want to simply say, this church is a click. We've got to get out of our click. No. You start building on the positive. What's our story? And so we began to realize our church's story is that we value healthy relationships, as we added the word healthy. We value healthy relationships. This is our church's story. We go back to 1964 when so-and-so walked in the door. The very first time they walked in, they felt like this. We begin to tell those stories of the church. Know your church's story. You must have some way to build upon something positive that unites us together. I truly believe that there, are, there is no greater sign of prosperity than to accept the gifts that God gives us. And in every church, there is a gift that God has given to us. Multiple gifts, of course. But there has got to be a strong gift that God gives to every single one of us. You have given me greater joy than those who have an abundant harvest of grain and new wine. To know what our common story is that draws us together and together with God is a more wonderful feeling than all kinds of outward signs of church prosperity. Really crucial. I think it's the first step, and I'm just grateful that I had that help doing this. And I'll talk in a moment about how this was a piece that kind of sat there for a while for me and not really knowing what to do with it. This is part of the problem, is that I think... And that's why I kind of wish like some Christian college would say to me, hey, Jason, do an adjunct teaching, help churches do this. Let's do some research. Let's figure this out. Because I think we've got lots of great people in our, in our Church of Christ heritage who are helping us with small pieces of the puzzle, but not putting it all together. This is so crucial. Know your story. Okay, second thing that I think is absolutely critical. Quit now. You ever see that Bob Newhart um, uh, video where he's a counselor? The lady comes in to him, has trouble. She's afraid of being buried alive in a box. Just stop it. Stop it. And I think that's really true for us here. We have to realize that we are on a losing journey. Randy spoke eloquently last night that our Jesus is a crucified Jesus. Our journey is a crucified journey. Uh, Jack Reese has a new book out that some of you may have read, At the Blue Hole. Uh, Jack was a faculty member when I was at ACU and then was the dean of the College of Biblical Studies there at Abilene Christian. He's since moved on to other things. He recently wrote this book, At the Blue Hole, in which he describes 
the Church of Christ uh, journey toward death. We're at the blue hole. And he has a really kind of neat narrative, kind of ties it together. But um, in, in back to this uh, picture before, uh, the, the, this one, part of what the crucial movement that so many churches are afraid of is to move, to embrace this period of crisis and confusion and move into the wilderness. We somehow feel that if we do that, that we as church leaders are, are failures. That to embrace confusion and crisis seems like the wrong thing to do. We need to go back, people think, back to where we had a magic bullet, back to where we had some program. We just need a new youth minister. We need to redesign our worship center. We need a better sign out front. We need a new program. I went to Harbor Lectures and they said to do this. We need to buy that program and start doing it in our church. But imagine a church leadership that says, look, we suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not headed in the right direction. Well, I mean, I think we are headed in the right direction. But at least from a worldly perspective. We're in a period of decline. It's where we are. Um, one of the biggest fights you will face if you head this direction, which I think is crucial, because I think if you, if, you, if you never go here, you're simply hastening the end. It sounds counterintuitive. That's why I say the churches that are already near death, they don't have the capacity to go through this. Because you do have to have some capacity. Uh, you still have to have some, I don't know, critical mass, so to speak. Because this is going to be a season of loss. But if you just go, this, that's going to be a season of loss too. But it's going to be a loss that burns everybody out in the process and ends up everybody hating each other. Um, but you'll have people at this stage who act like they are the biggest helpers in the church. In a sense, they are. Um, I've had one person, for example, who was such a hard worker in our church. Very performance-driven. And always had an idea of how we could fix something. How we could make something better. And he was going websites. Find solutions for me. Until finally he decided that the biggest problem was the preacher. That I wouldn't stay away from subjects that were controversial. <clears throat> that I wouldn't preach the right kind of message that would bring people in. And so he shut down. And he's left our church now. This was one of our best workers. But I'm telling you that when you embrace this important season of quitting, you will lose some of those kind of people. But it's crucial. You have to go through it. There is no other way if you want to find renewal. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this uh, exhibit that was at the Guggenheim Institute in Venice. It was two Chinese uh, artists who put together this robot. And they designed this robot. I think it opened in 2014. And it was designed to live for four years. And during the whole time of its life, it was leaking hydraulic fluid. And it's designed with this big arm to pull the hydraulic fluid back into its body. And so early on in its life, it's just a small leak. And the robot can just 
quickly, easily, keep it clean, put the hydraulic fluid back in. But as time goes on, I don't know, somehow the way they've designed it, the, the leaks become bigger and bigger. And, and they'd somehow designed it to be dramatic. So that as the leaks become, leaks become bigger and bigger and it's more and more impossible to keep up with it, it becomes more desperate. And even like acts out, the robot even acts, it's kind of funny actually to watch. But it was fascinating to watch this robot die. The name of the exhibit, let's see, is Can't Help Myself. You can look it up. There's, there's videos of it. Can't help myself. But given the world we live in that is changing so dramatically, so fast, we can't keep up. We can't compete with Hollywood. We can't even compete with the church down the street. You know what I mean? We don't have their capacities. Quit now. Stop it. You got to stop it. We got to embrace the wilderness. How were the people of Israel remade into the people of God? Well, through the wilderness. And embracing the wilderness, you will alienate those who expect quick fixes. But you cannot take a shortcut back to the stage of high performance. We must embrace this season of failure. And the goal is not failure, right? The goal is to become a people who are about the mission of God. I want to make that very clear. It's not like a fatalistic kind of desire here. It's not like we want to, to, to become a closed church. We, we, we want to die as a church. It might happen, though. We have to embrace that season of the wilderness in order to find the promised land. Okay, third um, key, third step is to get healthy. Um, this is crucial uh, and, and probably will not be a simple step, but churches have different levels of dysfunction. Uh, churches have different levels of disease, but this involves cleaning up the messes of the past. It involves getting your act together, behaving properly toward one another, uh, doing things because they're right, not because they work. Do you hear that? Doing things because they're right, not because they work. And so for the people of Israel, it meant getting Egypt out of the people. And if we're honest, that didn't really happen until after Babylon. So we have to recognize that's a long journey to become healthy. And so I would say we're in for a long, challenging season. You know, if I had realized uh, the kinds of challenges, the kinds of disease that we would have at the college church in Fresno, if I'd have realized that when I moved there, I probably would not have moved to Fresno. Great church on the surface, but there were some things that had been swept under the rug. And when they began to come to light, it's not fun for anybody to have to deal with those. It is deeply disturbing to try to get healthy, even in your own marriage. I mean, I, I'm amazed that um, I've been married maybe 30 years this December. But I feel like it's only in the last five years or so that Julie and I, my wife, are finally figuring out what it means to have a healthy marriage. 
we've always had a decent marriage. I don't mean anything bad, but I mean, there's always junk that you've never dealt with. You know what I mean? There's ways that you've hurt each other over the years. And you have to eventually be honest about those things and figure out ways of dealing with those things. And, and churches hurt each other. We just do. And we make decisions based upon what we think will protect the church over doing things that are done out of integrity. And so we have to go back and get healthy. There are so many important things that must become central to who we are. And this really, I think, goes back to the idea of discipleship. But I think one of the things that I'm learning as I'm exploring well beyond the bounds of our own heritage and churches of Christ, as I'm learning from lots of other people, is that there must be very intentional systems that are put in place where we listen to one another, where we begin to serve and, and, and grow together, where we build community, where we disciple each other, where the church takes shape and where we do this again. It's not just about giving up on church. Or it's not just about finding ways to build community. We have to do it with Jesus. We have to do it with the Lord. We have to include outsiders. We have to do all these things very carefully and slowly, and it has to be healthy. If it's not healthy, people smell that, and they flee. It takes time to build systems, processes that are, um, come from a place of health. And to be clear, this is not just something new to manage. I'm not just talking about a new uh, employee handbook for our church members. But, I mean, we have to focus on doing life together and with God. Get healthy. Number four, cultivate a culture of innovation. Uh, now, this is, I think, where um, we might have struggled some in the past. But I'm, I'm really confident that there are a lot of, of us who are really trying to do that today. I'm, I'm really encouraged by many of my fellow ministers and their elderships who want to try new things. Um, what you'll eventually need in your church is a two-pronged strategy. We'll always have to have a worship gathering on Sunday morning that is for our church people. And other people are interested in that. I'm, 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 I'm interested in seeing that uh, in our own church as we come out of COVID, we've grown by a few people. We've lost people during COVID, of course. But we've grown now as we, re we, as we reopened. We've grown with people who want to come to church or looking for our kind of brand of church. Um, and I, I think we always need that kind of Sunday morning strategy for people who want the worship service. But we need new strategies that are outside the church building. The vast majority of our society will not come to a church service no matter what kind of lipstick you put on it. We've got to find ways to build Christian community outside the 9 a.m., 10 a.m. church service. So this is going to be crucial to unleash a system of innovation. Um, if you don't have a spirit of innovation or freedom to try things, you're going to go nowhere. There, there's a great uh, complex systems leadership theory which talks about how things emerge. And it looks at, at not just churches but things like Branson, Missouri. Branson, Missouri, 40 years ago, was just a, a town in Missouri. And these little theater owners began to kind of have this complex way of 
uh, thinking about things, of spurring change, and through that interaction then with town leaders and regional leaders, they developed an entire region now that's become a tourist mecca in Branson, Missouri, of all places. But they've been very careful about their brand. They've been very careful about how they've done things. It's not just been a top-down strategy. It started from below and interaction with up above. There's been a real um, reordering of things as this system of change emerges. And so this is not just going to emerge from an elders meeting. We've got to give people within our church the ability to innovate. And this is a challenge for me because um, I, I'm a good manager, not a good manager. I, I, I like to have things straight is what I mean. I like to do things the right way. And so for me, the right way is you got to go through the elders and the ministers. <laughs> so I, I just, I got to keep reminding myself over and over again, sometimes you got to give people permission to try things. Like for example, our children's ministry, they're working really hard to try to do some neat things. Since we relaunched after COVID, we really remade our children's ministry. We've got somebody in charge of that. has got a lot of energy. You know, she doesn't do everything the way that I would do it. She, but she's, she's doing things, and kids love it. Uh, but anyway, uh, she recently suggested, like, hey, can we take the summer off because that would give all of our workers a break. And so I did my normal minister thing and said, well, i got to check with all the other people that are involved in class time. And so, check, oh, they don't want to shut it down. No, they don't want to shut it down. And so I end up being the bad guy having to tell our leader, like, no, we're not going to shut down classes. You gotta, we got to do something. We're happy to help. Oh, now she's mad about it, right? But anyway, regardless, it's okay. It's, but, but, but I've got to think differently. I've got, to, I've got to say, okay, look, that may be an idea worth pursuing. Why don't you go and talk to these people? Give the chance for emergence to happen among people that don't go through me. Uh, so this system of innovation, of emergence, is really crucial. And, and this system is, is complex. The, the, there's a lot of science about this. This is a good thing. We need to find ways that, that the brain of the church doesn't just simply happen in the operational system, but happens here among the local folks. And it's the space between that creates the adaptation. And so instead of thinking to ourselves that all of the adaptation, all of the ideas have to come through the elders meeting, to come through our staff, we have to create a lot of space for things to change and adapt and to find new ways. I'm not talking about adapting our worship services. That's, that's the small, tiny piece. I'm talking about adapting how we do life together. I'm talking about innovating in how we connect with our community. How we get folks to realize we are a church in this neighborhood. We've got a lot of work to do. And I can't come up with the ideas enough to, to do, take care of it. All right, final thing is um, to allow God to write a new future. And this is easy to say and harder to get there. But this will be based on who you are at your best. This is where the piece for me, the, our congregational narrative, our story, was laying dormant and needed some help to be brought back into where we were. I reached out. I had coaching from Sung Chan Ra, who's teaching right now in the Stouffer Chapel. I want to be in his class. But um, um, I, I reached out to him. I was coached by him for six months in a little group of people. And he, in a, in a private session with me, said, Jason, here's the kind of thing that you need to do. You need to be able to go, go back and find out the stuff about your church. And I said, where did that work? He said, whoa, praise God. You've already got it. So what was it? So I told him, I said, this thread about relationships. And he said, 
And I said, but I said, there's a negative of it. It's kind of been clicky at times. He said, forget that. He said, let's put the positive spin on it. Revisionist history. So he said, you need to think about healthy relationships as you're joining God's kingdom work. And so our leadership team came together and we said, this is who we are. We're about building healthy relationships as we join God's kingdom work. And everybody said, yes, that's it. That's who we are. As we talked about it in our church, everybody said, yes, that's who we are. So we began to reactivate these things that have been done in the past and begin to think about who it is that God is calling us to be and where we're headed. We don't know the destination, but we know the direction we're headed in. And this involves now thinking about mission and vision and values. And so we've begun to think about where it is we think we're headed. What are the values we need to get there? Um, your church will be like a cluster of recovery groups. Now, there's a recent re quote that I saw from a reporter who covers drug addiction. And he talked about um, just how uh, hard that work is to write about drug addiction given the opioid epidemic that we've been through in this country. Talked about seeing sources die and what an enormous loss it is for so many people. But then he said this, I've also learned that communities, I've also learned communities that grow around recovery are some of the most hopeful and vibrant. Communities that grow around recovery. What if we were churches that recognize we're drug addicts, <laughs> that we need recovery, <clears throat> that we need help that's beyond ourselves, and we lead into that? I truly believe that when you do that, and when you lean into the Spirit of God, the transition organization, which is what I think we're experiencing right now at College Church, this transition organization is one of the most vibrant and loving communities I've ever been a part of. Our church is stepping up to own the work of the church. We have some big questions ahead. I don't know entirely where this is going to end, what it's going to look like, but I really believe in this journey together. And I hope that in your church that you can find the steps that will lead to renewal. Um, just grateful. Thank you for sharing this little time with me. I wish we had time to interact. That's really not what this is set up for. But anyway, so grateful for you being here. And I really do pray that the Lord was able to do more than we ask or imagine. Now to him was, by, was able to do more than we ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.